Welcome back to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio right here on AM 920, The Answer in Atlanta. If you have a forbearance, if you haven't made your loan payments during COVID, can that affect your ability to get a loan? There are four or five different types of loans out there in the world. Which one is best for you? Like, how do you know? What, what should you do? It's confusing to me. What's happening right now with appraisal and underwriting timelines in the market? They were really getting stretched out a few months ago. Are they shortening or are they still staying too long? What's the required documentation? In other words, what do you have to have ready to give the underwriter to approve your loan? And what are some misconceptions that are so common among buyers who really, really, really want to buy a property, but they just don't know how to pull the trigger? We're going to talk about these subjects and more. If you want to connect with us, please do. Go to gogaddisradio.com, G-O-G-A-D-D-I-S radio.com. You can ask questions, make comments. You can push back and argue with me if you want to. It's no problem. You can share ideas. You can ask for your neighborhood to be featured in our neighborhood spotlight segment, which will come up in the fourth segment. And you can also subscribe to our podcast. Now, got a very special guest, John Birchfield. He is my most common guest, and he is also my favorite guest. John, welcome. Hey, Cleve. Good, good to be here. Happy New Year in advance to you and your family. Yeah, you as well. John, as we get started, are you uh, glad that 2020 will be gone? And are you happy that 2021 will be here? Or do you not care? <sighs> yes, yes, and yes. Uh, is that a good answer? You know, I mean, 2020, there's been there's been bright spots for certain, um, but it has been challenging and challenging for so many people. So uh, it's always good to have a fresh year, fresh start, fresh outlook on things. And you just gave me a fresh perspective. I've been looking at 2020 negatively. So many people I know have had to suffer. My mother's in a in an in, in, in independent living home. But I mean, it's just it's yeah. almost like they've just been in lockdown for right. the majority of the year. And it's just not fair to people. And I know people who've had loved ones or relatives pass away. And that's always very scary. But the reality is, and this is not to minimize any of the suffering, the reality is the real estate market and the mortgage market uh, have been very, very good uh, for home sellers, home buyers, borrowers, for the lenders, for the real estate agents. So the reality is, is that you and I both probably have some good stuff to be thankful for. John, I would like to know, there's a, there, there, the last count I saw, and it was maybe in a segment you and I did a couple of weeks ago, there were 3.9 million, 3.9 million borrowers that had applied for forbearance. In other words, mm -hmm. they applied for the opportunity to miss a few payments because of COVID. Now, it's my understanding that only 2.9 million of those people were actually missing payments, that 1 million of the 3.9 million, even though they had gotten approved for forbearance, were still up to date on their payments. But if right. someone is in forbearance or has been in forbearance during COVID and now they want to buy a new home, how does that work? Because technically, you're not current on your payments, even if you and the lender have agreed that you're going to get a few months break. But anyway, talk to us about this. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that was a huge point of confusion early on in the process when the CARES Act was passed and allowed for this uh, or encouraged mortgage lenders to offer their forbearance to uh, buyers or borrowers. It, um, there was no guidance to this. So it took about three or four, six weeks for, uh, for the agencies to produce some guidance to lenders. And basically what they agreed upon is, is if, if, if homeowners have missed mortgage payments, okay. that they must get their loan out of forbearance and okay. make three timely payments before they're eligible for new mortgage financing. So it didn't hurt long, long, long-term, 
but they did create some little bit of a waiting period there to, uh, to get them back on track. So if a listener is at the end of their forbearance period and they know they want to buy a new home, for example, first quarter of next year, then they need to, do they have to do something to officially get released from the forbearance or they just start making payments again as agreed? They need to get the loan out of forbearance so they can call their mortgage servicer and say, hey, I'm good. I I didn't have any problems or issues. I can make the payment. We need to get this out of forbearance and uh, and they'll just retract the agreement and then get it back on track. And just to make sure everybody heard you, you said you must make three monthly payments on time. So get out of forbearance, make those three payments. Well, that's great information. If you've just joined us. You're listening to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio on AM 920, The Answer. I'm Cleve Gaddis, host of the show, and I've got John Birchfield of Capital City Home Loans on the phone with us, or actually he and I are on Zoom right now, so I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. John, there are different types of loans. There are FHA and VA and USDA and mm-hmm. um, conventional loans. Talk to me about why we have different loan types and who those loan types might be best for. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a huge question. Um, In general, when we think conventional financing, we're typically thinking of a little bit higher end credit, a little bit better credit. Okay. We're thinking typically lower debt to income ratios. Okay. okay? And we're typically thinking uh, a little money down, you know, three, five, 10% at least. Okay. Um, Whereas when you move into the other types of financing, those that, uh, are implicitly insured by the federal government, such as USDA, VA, or FHA. Yep. Those are going to allow. Let me just interrupt. Let me interrupt one time. So you said a little uh, healthier credit, uh, a little better DTI. Do you have any like ranges? So like, is this, you know, a 640 and higher credit score, a person for conventional loans? I know you can do loans, conventional less than that, but are, are, is, are there any sort of benchmarks here? Well, um, it depends on how much money down. Right. So if we're trying to secure a home with very little money down, but utilize conventional financing, say three or five percent, then the credit's really got to be pretty strong, probably 680 or better. But once you get to the 10, 15 or 20 percent down, 660, 640, 620 even, and a credit score range could be very doable. Interesting. And in other words, not get a penalty for a 620 versus a 680 if you're putting 20% down. I'm just making that up. But that's right. You put down, it makes sense because yeah. the more you put down, the less risk the lender has. You started talking about government insured loans, FHA, VA, USDA, and I interrupted you. Let's get back to that. Yeah. FHA, for example, is going to one, um, a lot less money down. You know, so you can get three and a half percent down and you secure basically the same type of financing as if you would have put 20 or 30 percent down and still got the FHA loan. In other words, FHA loans are what they are, kind of regardless of what you put down. And kind of the same thing regarding credit scores. I didn't know that. So that is very, very interesting that um, 3.5% down, you get the same terms, if you will, as if you put 20% down on an FHA loan, that's still worth it. Now, I think we do need to warn, and you correct me if I'm wrong, borrowers who are getting FHA loans at this point, that right now, the mortgage insurance premium on an FHA loan never goes away. Meaning if you get an FHA loan and you have mortgage insurance premiums, your first payment, you're going to have mortgage insurance premiums, your 360th payment as well. So that's something you need to consider uh, in the cost of the loan. Yeah. Slight exception to that. If they were to put 10% down or more on an FHA loan, it will go away after 11 years. But oh. 11 years is a long time, whereas with conventional financing, typically we would see that mortgage insurance falling away at, you know, six, seven, eight years. 
Mm -hmm. And sometimes even faster if you can prove to the to the lender that the uh, the, the 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 equity is there. So sure. um, why would somebody apply for a VA loan? Why would somebody or how would somebody be eligible for a USDA loan? Okay, good, good question. USDA and VA loans look very similar to one another, but they serve very different borrowers. Okay. Uh, a VA loan is for our, our veterans, our service uh, uh, members who have yep. served in the military and they've served long enough to be eligible for VA benefits, one of which is the ability to obtain a VA loan, 100% financing, no money down, very, very cheap, inexpensive cost of financing in terms of interest rates and mortgage insurance, et cetera. Um, and USDA is very similar. Okay. You don't have to be a veteran, but it is reserved for rural homes, homes that are in more rural areas. So it's geographically restricted. Got it. And so uh, would it be safe to say that it's sort of the outlying areas of Atlanta? So maybe not some of Gwinnett County, but the counties that are just outside of that, things like that. Is that sort of a good way to look at it for the Atlanta area? Yep. Basically, your metro counties are excluded. As soon as you go beyond that, then we're getting into the USDA world. And then the down payment on that is? Zero. Zero. So you can get into that same as the uh, the VA. And then for, the, right. for the VA loan, you have to be honorably discharged, mm -hmm. right? And then yep. do you know how long you had, had to have served? I don't, I don't have any idea. It depends whether it was in active uh, duty or whether it was in non-active duty, uh, if it was in wartime or non-wartime. So there's yeah. a lot of caveats okay. to that. Yeah, but it's super and by easy the way, to there, there should be one year in active duty would be the equivalent, I guess, of 15 or 20 in yeah. not active duty. So I totally get that. Hey, we've got just a couple minutes left and I want to go through a couple of these other topics. But talk about appraisal and underwriting uh, timelines right now. I know a couple yeah. months back, I mean, everybody was stressed out uh, in the mortgage industry, uh, but it seems like it might be settling down just a little bit. Talk to me about that. It's getting much better, for sure. The industry's adapted and kind of geared up and retooled to be able to handle the level of volume that, we, that we're seeing. Um, so we're getting uh, closer to, to what our expectations would be, where we can secure an appraisal within the normal you know, three-week time span okay. uh, and, and, and secure complete loan approval and closing within 30 to 40 days. So it's, it's going pretty well. Good. So everything seems kind of normal at this mm -hmm. point. So if you're a buyer, you're looking to buy a house, you shouldn't have any delays called by, uh, caused by underwriting or appraisal. Give me your quick list of the paperwork that people need to have ready if they're going to get a loan. Uh, it's a lot more simple than most people think it is. It really is. All you got to remember is what we call the two, two, and two rule. We want two pay stubs, the last two years of W-2 forms, and the most recent two months of bank statements. So two, two, and two is going to get you good started. Now, if something's self-employed, then we're going to add two years of tax returns. We'll go two, 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 and two. We're going to add a two to them. You'll add that extra two. I totally get that. And now we've got about a minute left in the segment. What are some common misconceptions? And by the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Go Gaddis Real Estate Radio, radio right here on AM 920, The Answer. I'm Cleve Gaddis, host of the show. I'm joined on the line by John Birchfield of Capital City Home Loans. He is our preferred mortgage provider. In fact, I've used John for all of my personal loans over the last four or five years, if that tells you how confident I am in his ability. What are some common misconceptions, John? we got about 45 seconds. Uh, I'd say that uh, the cost of waiting. We get a lot of home buyers, especially first-time home buyers, who get nervous about pulling the trigger and acting now. Um, because they think maybe they can get the same home for a little bit less expensive in the future. And even if that assumption were true or bared out to be true, what they may be neglecting to think about is the cost of the financing. 
and how the cost of the financing may go up over time and end up cost, the same home costing them more, even if they get it for a less expensive purchase price. Yeah. John, come back and see us again soon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, are Corian countertops better than granite? What's happening with inventory in the Atlanta condo market specifically? And should you buy a home with Atlas Chalet Shingles? We'll answer those questions and more. Stick with us. We'll be back. <laughs> 